Well, welcome everybody, and uh, thank you for taking some time to worship with us today uh, and for joining us today. As, as we begin the teaching time, I want to encourage you right now to, if you have a Bible around you, if you have one on your device or a physical one near you, I want you to open up to the New Testament, to the book of Luke, and I want you to go almost to the end, to, to chapter 24. And I want you just to hold your finger there for a minute, because we're going to come back there in a little while. But before we get to this, I just want to explain a couple of things to you. First, I want to give you some context. Before I do that, I actually want to, um, I just want to share with you just some personal anticipation I have around this. Um, when I was a kid growing up, we used to go camping for vacation. That was our family vacation. And I always remember that the night before we went camping, there would be this excitement that would swell so much inside of me that I could barely sleep. Like it would be a restless night because I just loved camping that much. In fact, um, for me, camping was like this new and better world. When we got out into the woods, um, it was just amazing. And yet all the same characters that I loved the most were, were also there. Um, it was like life, but only better. It was, it was the adventure. It was the outdoors. It was the sounds of the forest. It was, it was the sights. It was the smell of the outdoors. It was even the food that we ate when we were camping. Um, the relationships with my mom and my dad and my brothers, the, this intensity uh, of being together in that space. It was like there was life and then there was camping life. And camping life for me as a kid was just so special. Uh, for whatever reason, as we begin to dive into what is going to be a new series for us this morning, there is this same kind of anticipation um, for many of the same reasons that I just described. Um, today, as we begin this, this isn't just a series that's sort of like a, a, a space filler for us. We don't think that way. And I'm not just a Bible teacher who's going to give you some, some information that maybe you didn't have before. Today, we are beginning a series that is going to show us a new and, and a better world that we can live in. This, this series that we're going to start today, I truly believe it shows us, opens the door to this adventure. It, it opens us up to this life that is more connected to the sounds and the sights and the smells that are around us. In fact, it's even a place where the relationships become more vibrant and more meaningful. This is a different kind of life. And, and, and my anticipation for this journey that we're about to embark on, it's been so significant that I've literally woken up in the middle of the night thinking about this. I, I, conversations this week, I've been talking to different people and I can't help but spill out the things that we're going to be talking about today. So I want to warn you, not only am I excited about this, but I also want to warn you because this has a high probability of altering the way that you have seen the world, or at a minimum, the way you see your life in it. So, so just like um, life in the woods when you go camping, this might be a little bit messy. Um, things might not be as neat and tidy as you'd like them to be. And what we talk about in the next few weeks may not fit into these tight, tidy boxes that you'd like it to fit into. Because, because of this, this is not a history lesson. This isn't a history lesson. Today, we are going to be entering into the New Testament book of Acts. And, and I use that language on purpose, um, this idea of entering into a series, entering into the study of this book, because we're not just simply looking at this book as some sort of study. We're not going to be putting it under a microscope and, and, and examining like, like this ancient text. And and we're not going to be observing it from a distance like it's some sort of holy artifact, some sort of sacred thing. We're going to encounter it the way that it was intended to be encountered. We're going to intersect with it 
We're going to experience this living, this breathing word of God the way we've been invited to intersect with it. So I want to just explain this to you. The book of Acts is, is dangerous. The book of Acts speaks of revolution. In fact, it, it tells the story. If you really want to think about this, it tells the story of life lived in the disrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what the book of Acts is about. And then it invites us into the story. It shows us this thing. And then it says, would you join this? Would you come participate in this? And that is the difference. So let me just explain something to those of you that maybe you're new to church, you're new to an experience like this, and maybe this is, is all new to you. Um, the tendency for people in, in history, at least recent history, is to look at the book of Acts like, like historians would. And when we do that, it turns this text into a sort of museum that we wander through and we observe the artifacts, or, or, or it becomes um, architectural blueprints for the church. There are people that I know that literally just look at Acts and they say, well, they did that, so we need to do this. And, and they just sort of follow this formula, like somehow we were given this so that we could turn this into religious rites and formulas. Um, that's the way people have looked at this. But there is something bigger going on in the book of Acts. There's something powerful that's happening in the book of Acts. And we are being invited into what is taking place. This book, it is about the present and it's about the future. It's about what we're living in right now. It's about where we're going in the days ahead. It opens our eyes to, to what could be. And then it just sort of pulls us toward this future. And, and, and it's, it's like this thing we talked about at Easter, this thing called the new creation. It is drawing us to this new sort of life that can be lived with Jesus. And what it reveals to you and I is that the Spirit of God has come. The Spirit of God joins us in space, in time. The Spirit of God inhabits the places that we inhabit, and we have been embraced by the Spirit. And from this point forward, what this book shows us is there is no going back. Like Acts, this book called Acts, it actually narrates how we discern God's movement in the world. This follows God on the ground. It, it, it sees God working and moving through the reality of everyday life, through the struggles and through the pain, through the joy and the laughter. This is, let me just say this, Acts is not some sort of utopian vision of the future. There's a grittiness to Acts. There's a dustiness of daily life in the book of Acts. So this book, it reveals God's agenda. And yes, God has an agenda. So it not only shows us the agenda, but then he invites us to join him in what he's doing. He shows it to us. He invites us into this. And this, when you and I begin to realize this, this is dangerous. This turns the world upside down. In fact, the, the subtitle of this series is, is When the World Was Turned Upside Down. And that's not just about what's happening today. I know it sounds like that's a, you know, sort of headline ripped from today's newspaper. That's about what's happening then. In fact, let me just say this. I'm going to apologize. If this seems to come across trite or, or maybe insensitive, I want to apologize in advance for this. But there's a, a visceral connection between how Christianity spread and impacted the world during the first century and what is happening in our world today during this particular time. Christianity, fueled by what I just was describing a few moments ago, 
spread through the known world like a virus, literally from, from one city to the next, from one region to another. Everywhere the virus went, it literally flipped the world on its head. It turned things upside down. In fact, there's this, this anchor verse we're going to be holding on to through this series. It's found in, in chapter 17, so way further on in the story of Acts. But it's this point where the apostle Paul, who you're going to get to know through this, he's going from city to city. He's telling people about this, this message of Jesus, the way of Jesus. And he goes to a city called Thessalonica. And while he's there, he goes to this guy's house. And this guy, his name is Jason. And Paul is staying there, telling people about the way of Jesus just like he's done in other places. And then there's this uprising. There's this uproar. There's a riot. People begin to bristle at what Paul is talking about. And, and, and what the rioters say about the followers of the way reveals just how dangerous this way really is. In verse 6, Acts chapter 17, they go to Jason's house looking for Paul. And we read this. I'll just read it for you. It says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down, they have come here also. And Jason has received them and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities, they were disturbed when they heard these things. I just want you to hold on to that for a moment. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Literally, to these people, the message of Jesus was viewed like a virus that was spreading. It was becoming a pandemic. And every city that the message of Jesus came to, it impacted, it changed, it flipped things upside down. The world word was out and the world is changing because of this. And for some people, as they're watching this happen, it just feels upside down. That's the language they use to describe it. Things are upside down. So the question that I'm asking myself right now, and, and the question that I'm going to ask you is this. Is it time for the world to be turned upside down again? Is it time for the world to be turned upside down again? See, I happen to believe the answer is yes. And I believe that that happens. I believe this occurs when you and I begin to lean into and we begin to experience what we are seeing happen throughout the book of Acts. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to follow God on the ground. We're going to see where he's moving. We're going to see where he's leading. We're going to allow him to meet us in the dust of every day and then watch what forms out of that. As we journey through this, we want to experience it, not just read it. So we're probably at the point now where um, you're thinking, how in the world um, does this connect to Luke chapter 24? I know earlier I said, turn there and we'll get to it. And, and now I want to do that. But um, let me answer that very good question for you. This moment in Acts chapter 17 didn't just happen. Like suddenly there was the resurrection of Jesus. And then there's this moment in which the world is just being flipped upside down. There's actually been a journey to this point. Time has passed, years have gone by, lessons have been learned, and certain things have taken place in the lives of individuals that have led to this, this moment where Christianity is now spreading like a pandemic across the known world. And so for us to understand why we got to this moment, we have to go back to the beginning. What happened first? Where did this whole thing get started? Which is why we go back to Luke chapter 24. And let me just say, for those of you that may not know this, that, that Luke um, didn't just write the book of Luke. Luke actually also wrote the book of Acts. In fact, 
Uh, many scholars just consider these two volumes of a single work. There is Luke, there is Acts. There are the things that Jesus did prior to the resurrection, then there are the things that happened after, and that Luke included all of these together. So, so that's the first reason we're in Luke. But the second reason is that the story of Acts really begins in the shadows of the resurrection. It, it, it takes place, it's birthed in the, the aftermath of the crucifixion. And so those earliest moments, immediately after the resurrection of Jesus, those connect deeply to where we find ourselves in the story, but also where we find ourselves today. I just want to encourage you with this, that there is something in this for you. There is something in this for all of us. These things that we're about to read, they hold for us a particular way of seeing the world that is beginning to point to this upside down happening again. And so right now, what I want to do is introduce Acts to you. This is the prologue, if you will, of this series by reading from Luke chapter 24. And normally I would unpack all of these verses and we talk about it slowly as we work through it. But today I want to see this moment clearly as a whole, and then we're going to talk about it together. So Luke chapter 24, I'm going to start reading in verse 13. It says this. It says, that very day, and by the way, that very day is a reference to the resurrection of Jesus. That very day, the two, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all of these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, answered him saying, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, well, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and, now our, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was one, the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he in interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went, he went in to stay with them. And when he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is so good for us to look at. And there is so much here for us to unpack. First, let me give you a couple of details. We have these two people and they're walking on this road to Emmaus. Um, this is, is sort of a famous story, the road to Emmaus. But, but let me just 
tell you that these, um, these appear to be very random people at first. Here's these two people, they're just walking down the road. But we learn one of their names a moment later. Um, his name is Cleopas. And, and because we get that detail, we actually make an assumption about the other disciple's name who is walking with him. A, a lot of people have, have, haven't seen this before, but she is likely Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Uh, a good number of scholars have pointed out that she's mentioned earlier in the crucifixion story, the crucifixion account as being present there at the cross. And then here in the hours or days that followed is, is Cleopas walking to what is likely his home in Emmaus with another disciple who we can just assume is his wife. She traveled to Jerusalem for this Passover time. Now she's traveling back with him. In fact, there, there's, this, um, there's this mosaic depiction of this story in the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. I'll, I'll show it to you on the screen right now. Um, but this is a picture of what we're talking about. We have this husband and wife who are just walking home. And they're talking about everything that's happened in Jerusalem. They're talking about all these things that have taken place around the life and the crucifixion of Jesus. And the text, I love this, it seems to indicate that while they're walking, probably along with many others who had made this journey to Jerusalem, there's, there's this other individual. Jesus begins walking with them. They don't recognize him. It even says that Jesus um, seems to have kept them from recognizing him. Uh, I don't doubt that in light of the resurrection. I think that if somebody can rise from the dead, they can probably hide their identity from a couple of different people. That seems like an easy thing to do. Um, but, but Jesus is walking with them and, and then he, he hears this conversation and from everything we read, these are closer members of disciples of his. These are close participants in this family of friends that Jesus walked through life with. And they're talking about what happens during these preceding days. And Jesus almost playfully throws out to them, what are you guys talking about? He's listening to them dialogue about this. And then he says, hey, what are you guys, what are you guys discussing? I love this because the scriptures seem to indicate that they stop in their tracks. They literally just stop walking. And Cleopas asked Jesus the equivalent of, do you live in a hole someplace? Like, where have you been? That's basically what he says. Like, how, how do you not know these things? And Jesus just looks at him and says, what are you talking about? Like, tell me more about what you're saying. And you can almost hear like the incredulous tone as they begin to describe to him the events that like, they're going to describe the events of Jesus's life and, and, and death on the cross to Jesus. That's what they begin to do. Now, um, with their explanation, we get a window into their world on several different levels. Um, first of all, what we get a sense of is their hopelessness. Um, verse 21 is so revealing. I want to go back to it and just show it to you again. Because they say to him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Um, all, all week this week, I've just been hanging on to those three words. We had hoped. We had hoped. And what a powerful phrase that is of, of their expectations. We had hoped, which essentially means that they had this dream. They had, a, they had a desire. They had hopes. They thought that things were gonna change. They thought that something was gonna be different in the days ahead. And when they say this, I think beneath the surface, we can assume that there are other questions that must be stirring inside of them, that as they're walking down this road and they're, they're saying these things, talking about these events, I think there's the kind of questions bubbling up inside of them that, 
that bubble up inside of us when things just go sideways in our lives, when, when stuff doesn't happen the way we expected. They're, they're just asking questions internally. God, like, what are you up to? What are you doing in the world? Are you even a part of this? Like, they're probably wondering to themselves, can he be trusted? We had these hopes. Can he actually be trusted? Were we wrong to trust him? Will God take care of us? Who was Jesus in the first place? All of these things. It's like, we had hopes, but now what? Most of us, uh, I think, can identify this at some level or, or another. Um, most of us have had things that have happened. Maybe there have been things that haven't happened. And, and maybe in the days that followed, you, you begin to wrestle and you just think, I hoped, like I prayed. I hoped, I dreamt. I thought things were going to be different and then nothing turned out the way you expected. That's where these people find themselves. When it says we had hoped, it is just this expression of life was going to be different and now it's not. We don't know where, where life is going to be. That single point re reveals something powerful that I think frequently gets missed in all of our conversations around faith. And, and it's seldom present in our understanding of books like Acts or topics like the kingdom of God. What they're saying right now is actually something that we need to stop and look at. When they ask these questions, what's at the core of this? What are they really saying? When, when they say we had hoped, but now our hopes have been dashed, where does that desperation come from? The truth is it comes from their expectations and their expectations reveal something about the way that they viewed the world. And it actually reveals something about the way that we view the world. Let me just explain something about the book of Acts that we're going to get into. The book of Acts takes place in an empire. It takes place in the Roman empire. The Romans, even though there's distinct cultures and regions, the Romans ruled, ruled the world. And the goal of the Roman empire was to shape the world in its own image. There, there was always um, this desire of empire. And Rome, the way Rome understood its task was to say, we want to reconstruct the land. We want to reconstruct the space. We want to reshape the culture. And we want to bring everything under our rule. Like our way of life is the best way of life. And we want everybody to experience this. Let me just say this, that this empire, it's, it's built on a slave economy. It is built on the oppression of certain groups of people. So, so yes, they accommodate cultural differences. They allow for diversity uh, of, of belief as long as those beliefs don't threaten the empire. As long as you can live in the empire peacefully, you can believe whatever you want. You can do the things that you want to do. So, so for Israel, that kind of threat, that kind of idea is something that they've lived with before. Living under an empire is always life with this fear. We're going to be assimilated. We're going to lose our sense of who we are. It's this idea that we're going to be changed by the culture rather than change the culture around us. It's this idea that we're weakening as a people or that maybe we're even losing our identity or maybe we're having our religious sensibilities offended. That's where Israel has experienced life on multiple occasions. And so when we see Israel in the book of Acts, Israel is in the diaspora. They, are, they have been scattered. They have been spread. They are oppressed as a people. A diaspora literally means a scattering or a fragmentation. It speaks to being exiled. It speaks to losing everything that you've had. That is this diaspora. It, it, it means that you're searching for this place called home. And so for Israel during the book of Acts, it's life among the Gentiles. It's this Roman occupation there's this danger in a life like this. 
This is a life that's crowded with self-questioning. It's questions that you have for God about, you know, why do these things happen? You're angry at God. You're, 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 you're frustrated at the people that are occupying your land. There's violence. The air itself, when you're living in, this, in these kinds of conditions, the air itself seems toxic. You're always on edge. You, you never know who you can trust. They live on the verge of being classified as an enemy of the state. They're always being evaluated. Are you a benefit to society or not? The acceptance that they've received, it's really just on loan for a while. Like, we'll tolerate you unless you make some sort of mess or make things difficult for us. They live with this fear, like, are we going to be turned into them or those people among us? That's what they live with. They remember the loss of home and loss of land, the loss of hope, the loss of some sense of future. The people of diaspora, they live with this fear, but they're also tough. There's also a conviction. There's a will to survive. There's a dedication that says we will not yield to these external pressures. It is life by any means necessary. That is who these Hebrew people are. So in Acts, what we discover is a faith that is caught between living as a part of the diaspora and living as a part of the empire. In fact, um, faith is always caught between living in the diaspora or living in the empire. It's always caught between one of those sides. You're either focused on survival and you're fixated on securing a future for your people or you're on the other side and you are intoxicated with your power. You, you, are, you, you want a world that is, that is ordered by your ideas of, of financial success, your ideas of social success, your, your idea of political systems, and that the best way to bring order and peace is just to make everybody live your way. It's either scrapping and scraping for life on your own, fighting for what's yours, or it's exerting your power and your domination, your influence, your privilege to extend your own hand. The book of Acts, you need to understand, takes place in this tension. This couple that we're seeing in Luke chapter 24, they are a part of the diaspora. They are in this place of scrapping and scraping. And they thought that Jesus was going to establish a new empire. They thought that the script was about to be flipped, that the Romans would be driven out, that they would be the new empire. And then it wasn't. So their hopelessness, what this hopelessness reveals for us is, is the two worlds. You're either a part of the empire or you're a part of the diaspora. You're either forcing your will on another in hopes you'll find peace or you're fighting for your will. You're fighting that someday you will overcome this ruling group around you. And it is into this tension that Jesus wades when he asks the question of them, well, what events are you talking about? Tell me about these things that happened in Jerusalem. In, in the days ahead and in, in the weeks ahead, in fact, this is going to be a, a really long series, um, over 20 weeks long. In the days ahead, we're going to discover something in the book of Acts, that there is a third world. There is a third way. There is something in between. There is something that is neither empire, nor is it the diaspora. And the Spirit of God, he intervenes in the middle, offering this new world to all of us. There is this new creation that is bursting forth. There is this new thing that isn't us finally getting to win and it isn't us just getting our way. There is something else. So we go back to the story where Jesus reveals himself to them. 
and their minds just have to be swirling. Their hearts have to be pounding. The resurrected Jesus is calling them to envision this new creation. He's inviting them. He's saying, listen, you can turn this world upside down. In fact, it says something really interesting in this text. They had walked seven miles to Emmaus. And it says that they get up from the table and immediately they make the seven mile journey back to Jerusalem. They turned around because they realized something is about to happen. I'm fully certain that they do not grasp all that Jesus is about to do. I don't think they understand that Jesus's kingdom is not the empire. It isn't a replacement of another version of the same thing. I don't think they understand that the script is about to be flipped. I don't think they saw what would be happening in Acts chapter 17, where the whole world is, is being turned upside down. Um, I, I don't believe they understood all these things. I don't think they knew all of this. I don't think they understood what it would entail, but they went back. They went back. They said, no, there's something else. There's a third way. There isn't just this or that. There is this new thing that God is doing, and we want to be a part of it. The kingdom of Jesus, what we see, comes to life in the middle of all of this, in the middle of this life. Um, I, was, I was processing a lot of this with my friend Steve Mitchell this week, and he started unpacking an illustration that gave a, a beautiful example of what we're talking about. He, he just said, I want you to imagine, he said, like, imagine that there's this beautiful, this beautiful ship and it's sitting in the docks. It's never been sailed before. And, and it's towering, you know, on the dock and, and it's beautiful. And the passengers are excited to get on board and everybody's loading on. And, and the captain gives the order to cast off and this sort of beautiful floating city begins to move out into the harbor, but there's a problem. Um, in the middle of the harbor, there is this rock and it is massive and everybody knows it's there. Everybody can see it. It's marked clearly, like everyone knows, like don't go to this spot. But somehow, almost inexplicably, the ship is steered right towards the rock it, and it strikes it and it hits it head on. And, and then he said, just imagine it's hitting there and the, the water begins to pour in and the ship begins to capsize and it turns upside down in the water. And then, and then Steve said this, he said, and then there's the shipbuilder who's on the, on the shore and, and he, sees, he sees this happening. And so he sends a rescue effort. He says, we have to get them out. We have to save these people. And, and so then um, he sends out a crew to help them in this moment. And they, they climb in, they go through a, a hole in the ship and they climb in and, and what they discover is something they never imagined. These, these individuals in the boat, those that were there, some of the more, entrepreneurial maybe, these passengers, they have hung tablecloths on the ceiling fans. They have placed chairs on what used to be the ceiling and they're now calling it the floor. They're serving food on top of things that used to be the ceiling. They've begun to convince other passengers that this new reality is actually really good. And they begin to just leverage their, their doomed upside downness in this moment, this capsized breach there that they begin to say to themselves, this is what normal must be. And so there are people who begin to thrive in the upside down toppled ship sinking in the water. And it's, it's plausible at first. There are people that believe their persuasiveness, but even still, while everybody's living in this upside down, there's a sense like this can't be right. We shouldn't be in a boat that's upside down. The reason that those men in Acts 17 felt like the world was being turned upside down is the same reason that Mary and Cleopas 
mourned on the road to Emmaus. They'd never known right side up. They had made a life out of the upside down, which in this first week of what will be a long look at Acts leaves us asking a hard question, but I think it's a timely one these days. Are you willing to have your life turned right side up, even though it might feel upside down? That's the question that Acts is going to present to all of us. Are you willing to have your life turned right side up, even though it might feel upside down? That's what's going on in Acts. The world is being turned right side up, not upside down. It's just that you and I have somehow crafted a life out of all of this brokenness. We're either a part of the empire exerting our dominance, or we're a part of the diaspora scraping for something. And there is another way to live. There is the right side up. And Jesus, all of his efforts, all of the lengths that he's gone through, everything that he has done, he is chasing us, pursuing us, going after us so that you and I might experience what he has to offer. That is the invitation of the book of Acts. Will you enter into this moment in history and see God in the dust? We're going to take a few moments right now. And um, we're going to listen to a song. We're going to take a moment to process. I think it's important that we evaluate, that we think about this that we allow these words to sink in. So we're going to listen to this song. You can sing along if you'd like. You can consider its words. But in a moment, I'll be back and I'll offer the benediction.
You know, these are interesting days. It is hard for me to look at the world right now and not think that God wants to intervene and do something in a time like this through a people like us. And so today, may you be men and women who say yes to the invitation of Jesus. Will you choose the third way to live? Will you allow your life to be turned right side up in a very upside down world. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an amazing, amazing week this week, and we'll see you guys soon.